Welcome to the Light and Data Show, everyone. This is George and Diana, and we're welcoming you here every week. This week, George has a hoarse voice, so it's going to be me doing all the talking. Finally, I have the microphone. No, I'm just joking. We have two wonderful guests today, Joe and Matt, and I have the pleasure of introducing both of them. Our guests today call themselves Recovering Data Scientists. I love that name. They are co-founders of Ternary Data, Joe being the CEO and Matt the CTO. Joe is a data engineer and architect, as well as an adjunct professor at University of Utah. He is an expert in statistical modeling, forecasting, machine learning, data engineering, data architecture, and everything else in between. Matt holds a PhD in math and is an adjunct faculty member in the math department at the University of Utah as well. Matt excels at data and cloud engineering, working extensively with Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud Platform, containers, Apache Workflow, and GPUs, among other technologies. Now, Matt and Joe have written an amazing book together, and this is our topic for today. Their book, called Fundamentals of Data Engineering, has become a bestseller, which is amazing. And we are going to find out all about it today. Welcome, Joe and Matt, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we've been a bit surprised by the success of this as well. We don't know what a bestseller means for Amazon's purposes. I guess we'll find out soon. It sounds definitely very good. Yeah. So how does it feel to have written a book and for it to have become a bestseller as well? It's surreal still, but I'll take it. It's better than writing it. spending a lot of time on a book and it, it doesn't do anything. But I think it, it definitely hit the market at the right time, right place, right time. And this is the feedback we got from quite a few authors in particular. That it was just, in a lot of cases, it's all about timing. And this one just seemed to hit it just so what do you think matt yeah it's it's been pretty surprising maybe that's how it feels it feels disorienting in a way it, it, like joe said it was exciting to be at the right place in the right time to do this at a time when people are getting very excited about data engineering being able to give career guidance and business guidance was just a really great opportunity and thank you again for giving away three copies of your book to our audience members just use hashtag data in the comments if you're watching this live for a chance to win one of these three copies. Thank you very much for sharing that. How did you come to the idea of writing this book? You want to take that one? Yeah, we actually, someone suggested to us that it might mm. be a good time to write a book. And we looked around at some publishers and, and talked to O'Reilly about this concept. And in particular, I'll, I'm just going to give Jess Haberman a shout out. She's now at Anaconda, but at the time she was a... Uh, at, what is it? Acquisition editor at O'Reilly. And uh, she was excited about the concept, but also a little bit nervous about it because this is so vast. Like, how can you possibly write a book like this? But we managed to come up with a concept that she was excited about and O'Reilly was excited about. And we just went from there. Yeah, it was our, maybe our pandemic book. <laughs> Everyone had to pick up a crazy hobby and maybe this is, this is it or for us. But yeah, one of those two. So, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, I, I think it was also, I think I recognize, I think Matt and I had always wanted to write a book like this. And I think the issue was pushed onto us, or at least we, when the opportunity arose, we're just like, yeah, we're either going to do this or not. It's the bottom line. And so we just had to commit and get to it. And so we got to it for know, a year and a half or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but trying to run a business mm. while doing this stuff, I don't recommend that for your health. It's, that was, <laughs> I think like chain smoking, like continuously every five minutes would probably be healthier for you than, uh, than this. But anyway, here we are. So I know it's pretty cool that you're releasing certain chapters uh, initially and you're getting some feedback and it seemed a, an iterative process that you're going with. 
Yeah, and we had a lot of great technical reviewers, like a lot of people pitched in. So if you look at the acknowledgments in front, we have our like official technical reviewers and other people mm. who like looked at the manuscript early and gave us feedback and overall concepts. And I feel like this was in some ways what we were doing was like consolidating a lot of ideas that were out there in the community. And of course, a lot of Joe's ideas and my ideas are in there too. But we couldn't have done this without the whole data engineering community, basically, and like contributing through things like medium posts and blog posts and podcasts. I yeah, think yeah, I mean, all that you said just contributes to the high quality of the books. First of all, it's a very good sign when the audience asks for it. So that is the first good sign. So you just didn't come up with the idea yourself. It was said, like the people asked for it and you were the right authors for it. So I think that's the first amazing sign. And given that it's a joint effort, I think it's really good. Yeah, it's weird though. Cause we didn't, you know, I, I will say at the time, I don't, I, it was weird because I didn't think we were the authors to write this book. It's a weird sense of imposter syndrome when you're taking on, a, I think, a book of this scale. It's not the easiest book to write, as Matt indicated. O'Reilly was like, you guys are like probably clinically insane for wanting to do this. <laughs> Actually, we're like, finally got two brain cells left. Let's roll the dice in this one. A little exciting youth. But it's, but yeah, it, it was definitely hard to write this. And there were definitely times, I, I think Matt and I were both like, are we the guys that do this? And, but it was, I guess we were. So we, we did it. Yeah. It's humbling. Yeah. I mean, over 400 pages. In terms of the audience, I feel it's for those that want to get into data engineering, those that want to learn more about data engineering, but even current data engineers, because the job itself changed over the years too. Yeah, and let me say this as well. Part of what made this book possible was stepping back a bit and taking a higher level view. And for example, if you're a current data engineer, this book is not really going to help you to be better at Spark. There are lots of fantastic resources for things like that to get real deep in the fundamentals of Spark or the fundamentals of Apache Beam, say. More of the goal is to just give people like a high level of what are the goals of data engineering? How do you choose technologies in the first place? How do you mm -hmm. even decide if Spark is the right technology for you? How do you make decisions around placement of workloads? We even get into things like FinOps a bit, although we like punt that a bit and say, go read the FinOps book, but learn about FinOps, right? To think about data. Yeah, and there's, it's interesting seeing the subjects people are excited about too, because I, I was talking to a guy the other day and he's like, oh my gosh, you mentioned FinOps. This is so cool. He's a VP at one of the bigger data technology companies and stuff like that. So it's interesting just seeing what people pick up on, you know? So I guess it's only getting started. So I'm very curious how this, what ends up sticking out at the year end. Let's try and define what is data engineering to start. <laughs> and um, another question is how much time do you have? <laughs> yeah. I think at the end of the day, data engineering, if you could boil it down, it's the life cycle of getting data from source systems and making it useful for downstream users, like data scientists, analysts, or other processes like reverse ETL too, which we call it in the book. So I think it's really data lifecycle management from point A to B in that spectrum I just described. So what do you think about what is data engineering? Is it a collection of tools? Is it a collection of stuff? What? And I, I think we take a stand here, right? When like we definitely commit to an idea that it's not that, it's not a collection of tools. And that's not to say that you can be a data engineer without being a really good technologist. You have to be a good technologist to be a good data engineer. But fundamentally, the tool is meant to serve end goals. And so that's how we define data engineering, Joe said. You take the raw ingredients and you make them useful. Fundamentally, that's what the life cycle is all about. You learn technologies, you get really good at technologies to serve that life cycle and to serve your customers, basically. And in your book, you're talking about that balancing act of data engineering, right? The fact mm -hmm. that the data tooling landscape is less complicated than it used to be years ago. And not that the data engineering's job is less difficult, but now they need to balance different things. 
in their job, in their day-to-day activities. And you're mentioning six things in your book. Can you just briefly talk about which ones those are? You want to take the one? So I believe it was cost <laughs> was one, right? The first one. I look at the book, actually. Managers so, are... yeah, keep talking real quick. I'm yeah, talking yeah. About. I'll give a high-level summary of some of these oh, issues. Oh, yeah, cost think... agility scale, yeah. Yeah, so I think a few years ago, there was like, there was an era... I'll call it maybe the big data era or something where there was a lot of ceremony around data. And so the technology itself became the focus. And so just like you were saying, George, we feel like it's not that you're always going to use managed services, but quite often it makes sense to use managed services because you can deliver value quickly. And then if there's a specialized use case where you need something more sophisticated, more targeted, you may need more flexibility in these managed services offer that's where it becomes your job to develop something custom or at least to go a little deeper on technology but rather than like always trying to build things from scratch and putting a lot of ceremony around data engineering a lot of the balancing act is just focusing on what your goals are and then identifying where your effort should actually flow like where should you actually be spending your time and go ahead joe you have something to say it's less complicated and it's more complicated in other ways i would say because there's more tools these days too, and there's higher levels of abstraction. So choosing the right tool and, and or technologies and cutting through the noise, right? That's half the battle these days. Matt Turk's infamous data landscape slide from last year highlights this where there's, I think there's more data startups and there are like atoms in the universe almost. So it's crazy. So just wading through that, there's all the options out there, I think is where it gets complicated. But again, the balancing act, if I, if I zoom in on the page here, which I just found, it's, it's cost. Agility, scalability, simplicity, reuse, and interoperability, right? This is, these are things you got to balance now. Whereas back in the day, as Matt was talking about, maybe it was a bit, I would say it's a bit more of a blunt way of looking at things where it's, I have a tool that I'm going to use and that's how it is. And there's always been ceremony too. But even if you go back to the early days of data warehousing, the ceremony was there as well. I think a ceremony always follows technology and data to some degree, mm-hmm. but we just have different ceremonies now, different seances and stuff so one of our listeners from youtube is mentioning that you know in many organizations still there is one person who does data engineering data management data science they wear many hats end quote do you feel that's still the case or do you feel data engineering is starting to get more and more separated from these other roles i think it's a bit of each so i think data engineering has emerged as a discrete profession but i think in practice if you're at a small startup then you probably have to wear several hats and you have to be the architect, you have to be the engineer, you have to be the data scientist, just like you were talking about. And I think that's actually where this balancing act becomes even more important. If I'm at Google, then I, as a data engineer, can focus on one tiny piece of one stack and just get very specialized. If I'm at a startup with five people, then I probably just want to buy a lot of things off the shelf and get things done quickly. Not try the latest technologies, just use things that are tried and true. Use the simplest possible solutions just to deliver quickly and maximize my time. Well, it's kind of like being an Olympic athlete versus being a CrossFitter. Like Mm -hmm. CrossFitters are very general and I think it's actually become its own sport, but you're not really good at one particular thing. And yeah, and I also think too, I was doing the numbers last week, actually, it's interesting. I think it's an average of five data scientists or analysts to one data engineer, I think is the the common step right now. Varies, maybe there's 10 data scientists or analysts to one data engineer, but you kind of get the point. Yeah, so I mean, that's maybe a rubric to look at things through, but it really depends on the maturity of your organization too. Every company is different. And so this just depends on what you need. And I would say don't blindly follow the rubrics and just hire people because it's that's what you're supposed to do according to some ratio or something like that, so. Right. Andy here is mentioning moving away from being a Swiss knife to becoming a scalpel. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. totally right. And you start on with the Swiss Army knife when you're brand new. It's I've got to figure out how to do a bit of everything. Maybe it's not absolutely the best toothpick or the best knife that I have, but it gets the job done. Whereas, yeah, as I scale, then I prioritize specialized data roles. And so maybe that's part of what you're thinking about in a small company is not just what's the role of this person, but how are they going to grow? So as they grow, what hats are they going to take off? Are they going to become more of a data scientist? Are they going to move more toward becoming a data engineer? And also, who's the person with that kind of cross-training skill set? You know, what's the background of that person that's going to be able to do those multiple roles? Mm -hmm. Maybe a recovering data scientist. I don't know. Maybe that's the kind of person you're bringing in. A recovering data engineer. Yeah, yeah. So. Irina is wondering, where do you recommend a data engineer reside? In IT or on the business analytics side? That is a tough question, actually. I think it depends on your company. It does, yeah. We talk about a few different organizational structures, I'll say, too. We've seen a number of new, like, C-level roles emerging over the last decade or so. So, like, the CDO, for example, has really risen to prominence, like, chief data officer. I think the danger of the traditional structure of having, like, IT be very separate is that IT tends to be viewed as a cost center. And mm -hmm. what's nice is if you can put data engineering on the product side, so they're not just tasked with building very basic tables in a data warehouse like service organization, but they're actually building a product that not only faces inward, but potentially faces outward too. And we're seeing a lot of that today. Joe, maybe you can talk about embedded analytics and that whole trend. Yeah, and I, I, I'm just a fan of embedding everything, basically analytics or, or engineering or whatever. But embedded analytics means basically an application is serving dashboards to end users, not just internal BI. And I think like embedding data engineers onto a product team is probably the best way to go. It just keeps you closer to what the customer ultimately wants. I think IT embedded, if everything's, it could work, but I think IT's where good ideas usually go to die, to be frank. And that's just how it is traditionally. Now you're just more of a support role for the organization. More playing defense, I would say, than playing offense, which is my mode of operation if I'm going to be running a team. So at the end of the day, it's like you got to be, be servicing it, you know, customers. That's what it comes down to. So again, having like a, maybe a central data team, but having them embedded in different product lines is my preference. So no offense, he's great, but you know. Yeah, I would say some of the, again, some of the problems with the traditional organization of IT actually more have to do with how the company treats them, again, as a cost center. And so yeah. part of what we emphasize in the book is FinOps. And FinOps came out of the cloud movement, right? Like these startups got onto AWS and then they, if they're not careful, they're not engineering their costs, the costs would just blow up. But another big idea inside of FinOps is that you're not actually just focused on controlling costs, you're focused on making money. And so you're looking at, okay, where can I spend money? Say I identify an embedded analytics opportunity and it's gonna cost me money. But I say, but my customer experience is gonna be so much better. You work with product to say, what is this gonna do for our customers? How's this gonna retain more customers, attract more customers? What new tiers of service can we offer? And so I, I think even in an IT org, if you start thinking of IT as making money, which tech companies do, whether they call IT or not, really change that point of view allows IT to, to operate better. But it depends on who IT reports to as well. Yeah. If it reports to the CFO, it's probably going to be a cost center. That's just how yeah. that goes. If it reports to the CEO or the chief product officer, something I think it's a much different story. So I have to make a parenthesis and an observation. So I see that you're on the same page, pun intended, that you agree in each other's opinions. And I was wondering, of throughout writing the book, was there a moment where you didn't agree on how to do things? Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, there yeah. were just like little disagreements or we'd try to, we'd come from different points of view and try to come, we'd come to an agreement, convince each other and decide which way we we're going to go on something. The danger with Matt and I too, is that we were able to finish each other's sentences because we know each other too well. Yeah. And so if one of us misses something, the other person probably did too. At the same time, yeah, definitely, I would say minor to very violent disagreements occasionally on how things would, would go in the book. But, For verbal um, disagreements, not like physically. Violent. No, because we're no. talking virtually now. So <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah, but, it's, <laughs> but that, you want that interplay too. If it's if everything's kumbaya while you're writing the book, it's probably going to suck, actually, because it's just, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Mm -hmm. And it also was just, you know, there, we had a, a fabulous uh, tech review panel who, yeah. I would say beat the crap out of us pretty hard, but you want that, right? It's like preparing for a boxing match or something. You don't want a sparring partner who's going to go light on you. You want the people that are going to smack you pretty hard because when you get out into the ring, or in this case, the real world of the book, real world isn't going to be too easy on you. So you, you want people to be tough on you and I think have disagreements. That's what makes great ideas. Very, very nicely said. And yeah. was there a moment where you thought that you will never finish it? No, we knew it would finish. Yeah, what about you, Matt? I guess we never talked about this part. Did you, were there times when you're like, uh, <laughs> uh, like just. So I think I learned a long time ago, like even as an undergraduate, but later on in graduate school, that when you just feel exhausted, what you typically need to do is take a weekend off or take a few days off. Every time after finals, I'm like, I'm quitting. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> or after like prelim exams for your PhD, but you just like take, okay, I'm not going to quit today. Maybe I'll quit in a week. And then you give it a week. It's okay. Things are okay. It's not so bad. I passed so we can move on from here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, do I'm, more, I'm more for like the Winston Churchill quote, like when you find yourself going through hell, keep going. So that's, I don't know, Matt and I have different approaches to stuff, but I think at the end of the day, it's whatever is going to make you feel like you can keep going. I think is yeah. you know, the whole point because you do have a deadline, right? And yeah. there are expectations. You can't just like up and quit. How's that going to look? How are you going to look back on that experience and say, put a lot of effort into this and didn't go anywhere. And it's also your reputation too, with every, uh, everyone who wants you to succeed. It's like, you want to be seen as a flake and as somebody who just up and quits because it got too tough for you. You're not going to get a second chance at this if you do that. In a way, I think it's a huge achievement and it's your legacy kind of something that's going to be one there. of them. One of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, it's interesting because we were getting that same feedback from, I would say, some of the biggest authors in, in the field and they're actually giving us that same feedback. So this is going to be one of the, the future classics. Um, this is... I'm not going to name names, but we've been told that in some ways it's going to be big. It's going to be one of those books. So. And it is already. It's going to get bigger, but it is yeah. already. It's a bestseller. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, it depends on what the customers want. If the world thinks it's a clunker, then I guess it is what it is. But it seems to be getting good feedback for now. Yeah. So we'll see. And so, I guess we're thinking about new ideas too. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious how you address this challenge in the book. Because I feel one of the biggest challenges within data engineering is how quickly the landscape is changing. In writing a book that you've started about a year ago or so, how would you manage that to make sure that whoever is reading it, it's still relevant by the time it comes out? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give Joe a lot of credit on this one. One of the things Joe said very early is that we need to focus on, just focus mostly on the stuff that doesn't change. Again, that's this idea of you can't, if you're going to write a book that cover that's intended to cover the landscape of data engineering, you can't just focus on Spark or focus on one really cool new technology. You need to take, take a step back and say, okay, what hasn't changed? What hasn't changed since the 80s, since the 90s, since the 2000s? And we try to really distill that down while also talking about current trends and identifying some things that are coming down the road. But like grabbing, mm -hmm. really focusing on the things that will evolve, but not fundamentally change in practice. I mean, it's kind of what I, uh, Jeff Bezos said with Amazon. I remember reading this thought experiment where he said, so what are customers always going to want? They want things faster, cheaper. That's never going to go away. There's never a scenario where people are going to want things more expensive and slower. That's 
So if you take that same approach with a book and understand like what's not going to change, I think it's uh, it's hard, but it's a clarifying exercise. So because a lot of things change, but a lot of it's noise. And it's funny because often what we see with technologies is that really it's this parade of technologies that are actually very similar, but just iterative improvements on each other. So we and pendulums as well. And pendulums. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, you had Hadoop, you had Hive, you had Spark, you have new technologies coming out. I think the big changes we see coming are not that um, are already in flight, if that makes sense. Maybe broader deployment of streaming, but it's not that streaming is like this brand new thing. It's just that maybe it's going to be organizationally more common than it is now. But I think what's going to happen is streaming is going to be just like what data warehousing was in the 2010s or all the technologies where the big data technologies becoming democratized and available. That, that trajectory mm -hmm. just keeps going with basically every technology. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. what it is. And related to that, we have a question here from Manas, which I'm going to paraphrase. It's a little bit longer, but he's mentioning that data engineering is really equated with speed and agility. And how does that conflict or butt heads with data governance and data quality management? Are those seen as a hurdle to that speed and agility? <clears throat> I would love your perspective on this, actually, because you're the data governance guru. What do, what do you see? I knew you were going to just hit it right back. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of expecting it's, it's what I do best. I just really get following things back. Pass in the book. So, yeah, I agree. It does butt heads with the, let's say the traditional old school data governance, which used to be a little bit more bureaucratic and, but it, it really depends how you're setting everything up. Right. If you need to sign all those paperwork before you can do something. And I feel nowadays there's, uh, you, you can actually embed data governance principles in all these other areas that you don't necessarily need to have the central office. They need to go everything through. Maybe you, maybe you have one that creates some of the high level standards and everything, but then everybody can still govern themselves at a yeah. more unit level or product level, still following those best practices that are put together initially. So I think it can become more agile, more, more quick to react and is able to play nicely with data engineering as well. For sure. Data management and governance are one of these things we call undercurrents and it just undercuts the entire data engineering life cycle. So we think it's one of these things where data engineers just seem to know data governance and management and just practice it. It's not like you need a giant committee yeah. governance board. Yeah. That's where I think it, it got, data governance fell short in the old days was it, it's governance, you need the, the uh, ceremonial committee and stuff. And it's just. Nobody operates like that anymore. At least companies move fast and you can't have that bottleneck. And really it does come down to, I would say, practitioners just knowing these concepts and just doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Listen, yeah, I don't need the committee. I can just do it myself. Just let's govor, GovOps or something, I guess would be a, maybe a new, I don't know if it's new, but a way of looking at it. I think embracing decentralization and democratization of these practices. And I think people like you are leading the charge on that too, which is cool, right? Where, just like I said, back the word governance scares people to death. But, yeah, but I yeah. think it, it, it's more of a change in the perception of that practice. And I think, like I said, people like you are doing an amazing job at that. So. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, it's an important thing. It shouldn't be overlooked and pushed aside. Yes, it can be improved, of course, but I think it's, like you said, it's fundamental to anything that we do with data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's actually a central theme of the book. What we call this enterprise -y data engineering, and we actually talked about the history. So your eighties, nineties data gets really big data warehousing. Like you're saying, George, you have this very like central, it's almost like dealing with the central committee of the communist party or something like everything is managed by committees. And then in the big data era, everyone, no one wants to do data governance anymore. That's not cool. Throw it all out. Just throw your data in the lake. And then what we're seeing as a trend is this is all coming back, but in this new iteration of like more decentralization, more collaboration, 
less central control, but more distributed responsibility. Yeah, and it's a pendulum swing again. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at one of these comments here from YouTube. Decentralization doesn't mean no principles, though. And I, yeah. but that's absolutely right. I'm not saying discard principles. There's always principles. Decentralization without principles is just anarchy, yeah. uh, which is cool, too, but there's yeah. time and place. So. And one of our architecture principles that kind of overlaps with this is that architecture is leadership. So in other words, as an architect or as a data governance expert, your job is not to lead in the sense of just giving everyone orders, but to lead in the sense of setting standards and holding people accountable. Lead from the front. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about if anybody wants to get into data engineering, what's your advice to them? Read our book. Of course. <laughs> Why our new course coming out? No, I'm joking. Not really, but you can do those things too. Tell me about this course. So is that based on the book? Yes. Yeah. It's going to be, there will be some differences certainly, but it's based around the ideas in the book and it's going to be a video oriented course, which we're hoping to get soft launch maybe by the end of the month, early September. Mm, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah. We're still deciding what the exact model will be. If it will be like freemium where the first lessons will be accessible for free as a sampling. We're working through those details, but yeah, we've recorded a lot of footage and we're in the process of doing more of that and then just doing iterations, right? Just like we did with the book where look back and say, there's a gap here. Like people are going to need more clarification or let's re-record this section or change this visual over here. But yeah. So I think point. if you were to not buy our book or course and yeah. you want to get into data engineering, let's do that thought experiment real quick. There's a lot of good resources out there. I'd say find a problem you're trying to yeah. uh, interest you to try and solve that. Just if you wanted to get into data science or data governance or whatever, find something that interests you and captivates you. That's what's going to keep your attention. I would say like going through the rote exercises of here's what you need to know to be a data scientist and taking that to be a data engineer probably isn't the best way. I've seen more people just fail at that approach. Hmm. You got to find something that really interests you at the end of the day and just build that. Somebody says we could build a data, create data set, a data mark. That's certainly one way of doing it, but maybe get Kafka and build a stream or something. But keep in mind the life cycle too. Take it, get context. Don't just think it's a bunch of tools because then you'll just be a tool, but yeah. Yeah, and we've seen this trend of resume stacking and job requirement stacking over the last several years where you have these jobs. Resume-driven development. Yeah, yeah. And on the other side, like just these job racks with 50 technologies. Oh, God. Yeah. These no one knows. Yeah. No, no single person knows all these technologies. And what we're seeing a lot on LinkedIn, too, is like people getting giving each other advice. Oh, if you want to be a data engineer, get really good at Spark. Oh, no, no. Go get really good at Apache Beam or Flink or whatever. And I think I actually posted about this the other day. Fundamentally, it's like Joe was saying, you want to get exposure to a lot of tools, but also you just want to get kind of overall intuition and understand the life cycle. And so kind of sample tools from the different phases of the life cycle, understand SQL, understand some other technologies enough so that a potential employer can say, all right, this person doesn't have exactly the tool set skills that we use, but it's a start. It's close enough that we can bring them in and train them. But also know how to solve problems. So at the end of the day, that's what uh, you're yes. paid to do. You're not, you're not paid to like monkey around tools. You're paid to use those tools yes. to solve a problem, but that's like any job really. So you're going to get good at using a screwdriver and stuff, but that's not really, I can put that in your resume. It's like... I built a house or something like that. That's more important if you're like a carpenter. Like I always right. use a saw. That's about, that's cool. Regarding the book, I still have a few questions. So again, sure. who is the book for? Everybody. I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's, there's kind of two spectrums to this. I think it's obviously practitioners, data engineers, I think would benefit greatly from this because there hasn't been a consolidation of practices that have been mm -hmm. described yet. One of my friends, a shout out to John King. He was, I think the first full user of Hadoop in production way back in the day. Like he's a data engineer's data engineer. Like he's a GE. He read the book and he's, oh my God, there's so much to know. It's crazy how much there's to know as a data engineer. So if he's humbled by that, we've had other people too read the book. It's very experienced. I would say some of the top data engineers on the planet have read this and they said, yeah, I came away learning something new. So that's cool to see. Yeah. On the other, other side, it's people who want to learn 
data engineering. So software engineers, data scientists, analysts, and so forth. Product managers is another one we're seeing a lot of interest from. So that was a bit surprising. Lay people, my wife is reading it right now and she seems to understand what we're talking about. So it's cool. Anyone else? Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's written in such a way, again, there's not this like really low level technology focus. It's certainly a technical book but it's more about teaching you how to use tools in a larger context. And so I think anyone whose job relates to data engineering can potentially find some value yeah. in this book. And that includes mm -hmm. people, like Joe was saying, on the business side who are doing, say, product, but need a data engineering team and need to build a data engineering team with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say even on my side, on the data governance piece, data stewards would have quite a bit of interest and benefit from it to see what it entails and understand the data engineering needs a lot better and see how they could improve the data stewardship practices and data governance overall. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And you mentioned, Joe, that what has never been done before is like this consolidation of, of all these things that are in your book. What else sets your book apart? So why should people read it? Because it's amazing. No, it's... It is, I'm sure. It's, I think in all seriousness, it's just, I think it's, just, it's a comprehensive book. I don't think I've ever seen a book that's um, this comprehensive oh, yeah. and lays out the field like it does. And it's not, not us like patting ourselves on the back. It's just saying like, it is. So Matt, why would you buy the book? I think part of it, I think what we achieved is creating this roadmap. Like to become a good data yeah. engineer or a good nice. product manager or good CDO, you need to go like read tens of thousands of pages, probably something insane. But hopefully this is a good starting point to get a feel for how things are We're getting. It's like universities want to use this as their standard text now for data engineering because it's becoming a discipline that's taught at schools. Data teams are using this book as, you know, we got a message from one of my friends. He runs an awesome data consultancy in the States. I'd say one of the better ones around. We replaced this and we replaced a couple of books with your book and we're just going to use this for awesome. our onboarding now. I'm like, that's cool. We're starting to see this a lot. Companies are using our book as like the standard text. So. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. Wow. You're getting a lot of kudos for the <laughs> books already. And, and Lai had a question and she already purchased your book. She mentioned that earlier. Thanks, Lai. She's wondering when data issues get reported, what's a typical workflow to tackle it at companies with different organizational structures? So do you tackle it at that data engineering level? Is it the data governance get, that gets involved? Data science, IT? Do you have a sort of preferred... Workflow. Just ignore the issues, it'll, it'll go away. Matt, what would you recommend, Matt? I think the first thing, is, and this is something we emphasize a lot in the book, and I get it, it's hard to achieve in practice, but we just need a more collaborative atmosphere across teams. Yeah. So what I've seen many times is, and I've been guilty of this myself, let me say, but like the data engineers, the data scientists think they're really cool. And so when marketing comes to them, they with are. something that looks boring, eh, whatever, I'll get to that eventually. Like that really needs to change. It needs to be this very like, we're focused on customer service. We're focused on both our internal customers at the company and the people, the external customers who are using the products who are going to be affected by data. So when that reporting happens, data engineers need to be very focused on getting things done, I think in general. What are your thoughts on that, Joe? I largely agree. I think it's a good way of doing it. Depends on the organization is structured too on how they solve problems. Solving problems is really a cultural thing too, right? At the end of the day, some people are very on top of it. Some people, are, companies are just, they just seem allergic to solving issues or they pass the buck and blame other people. It, it is true. And so I think it, it largely depends on, I think the cultural makeup of like how your company solves problems in general. It's not a one size fits all answer. So somebody asked if you can increase your mic volume now. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just crank it all the way up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing <laughs> static. Like crazy. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Matt's just a really soft-spoken person too, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
So where can people find the book? Let's see. You can actually get it delivered from Amazon now, which wasn't the case for a long time, but it seems like a delivery has been pushed out to close to the end of the month. You can get it on Kindle or the O'Reilly platform right away in digital format. We actually um, make more money on the digital sales, by the way. So I'm actually going to give O'Reilly a slight sales pitch here that the O'Reilly learning platform is really cool. And so if you find yourself reading a lot of O'Reilly books, it's not cheap to get the yearly subscription, but it gives you access to everything on O'Reilly. But if you're at a university, I think you can get it. Depending yep. if your school subscribes or yeah. from libraries, we've also heard. So yeah, um, like University yeah. of Utah, where we teach, does that. And we actually, yeah. we use a textbook that's an O'Reilly book. And so it's free for the students. It's great. That's nice. Awesome. If, if you buy the book, I'll give it a good review on Amazon or O'Reilly. Smash a like button. So Awesome. And the course, whenever it's going to be ready, where can people find your course? TBD. Stay tuned for details on that. So. Yeah, yeah, just follow okay. Joe and Matt on LinkedIn. You'll know. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll send you guys some information directly if you're interested in mentioning awesome. that later. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. Definitely on LinkedIn. We'll have some links for the landing site. And it's also, we need to give a shout out too. We're also doing corporate trainings based on the book. We're, we're starting to get a ton of requests for that. I okay. um, need the on-demand version online or uh, hire us at turnergator.com for uh, custom corporate trainings. Happy to help out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll be catered to the organization's needs and uh, that audience. So if you're listening yeah. to this, contact them right away after the show. Maybe. And make sure that you do tag hashtag data so you have mm -hmm. a chance to win one of the three books yeah let's that uh, giving away let's do that right now actually let's take our first winner here oh getting your your hashtag data in just gonna give you a couple more seconds here <laughs> there you go good 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 from youtube coming in as well twitter all right okay let's do the first draw here see who's gonna win this I'm gonna have to take a photo Oh, this is cool. How do you do this? Hey, hey Alexander. Awesome. Okay. Please, uh, please send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll take a photo and I'll contact you if I don't hear from you, but you're the first winner. And we have two more to go. Yeah. yeah we we're going to try again. This. Joe, we should give away some books as well on one of our shows. Well, yeah, we should. But I would say too, for the people who've won, uh, Matt and I can send you a, a special video in lieu of a, an autograph, unless you want us to autograph your uh, iPad or Kindle. Oh, nice. Or maybe a bookmark. With a permanent marker. Yeah. We also nice. do custom tattoos if you want that. So. <laughs> that was very skilled. <laughs> what would you put on a tattoo? Ternary data logo or hashtag data engineering? Probably a bird. I don't know. Do you know why O'Reilly chose the bird or you had some... We don't have any that? input. They just okay. tell you, say, here's your animal, which in this case is a bird, but they, you, you have no input into this and they just send it to you at some point. So Cool. Yeah. It's been a lot of birds lately. Martin Kleppman got his warthog. Warthogs are cool too. I like the bird though. Yeah. <laughs> hey, all right. A lot more entries are coming in now that people are seeing that it's for real. <laughs> people are winning this. So let's do another draw. And there is a chance that the same winner will come up, but obviously if that's the case, we'll just redraw. What app is this, by the way? This is pretty cool. Wow. Yay. All right. I don't know Chess your identity. Is very involved as well. So please contact me on LinkedIn, George Fury can, and I'll just need your email address. Cool. Perfect. Cool. And we're doing it once more. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's do the last draw for a lucky winner. Let's go for it. I should have typed it too. Yeah. 
We ah, all right. Congratulations. Sushmita. Sushmita. Awesome. Congratulations. I'll take a photo just in case, but please send me a message on LinkedIn. So congratulations to all the winners. And thank you so much, guys, for offering the three free copies of course. Uh, for these for these lovely people. And congratulations for writing such an amazing book. Yes. Thank you. That's a huge achievement. And I think things are all only starting to buzz around the book. <laughs> Seals are good. And looking forward to that course too. Yeah, for sure. Coming soon. Coming yes. soon. All right, Matt. All right, Joe. Thank you again for joining us and talking to us about the fundamentals of data engineering. And thank you for your amazing contribution to the world of data and of data engineering. And thank you everyone for being so engaged and for being such a large number today with us here and for your lovely comments and great insightful questions as well. I wish you all a very happy weekend and we'll see you next week. Happy Friday, everybody. See you. Happy Friday. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.